go ahead and have a seat. Um, my name is Ricky. Serve as one of the pastors here. Think about things in your life that you ask for, or, or specifically that you ask for more of. Maybe it's something kind of normal. Maybe it's kind of kind of weird. One of the things that I ask for now, I would say I, it isn't weird what I'm asking more of for, but but how much more I ask for it is kind of weird. And um, if you've ever gone out to eat with me, you would know it's pop. I ask for just more refills, more refills, keep them coming. And, and yeah, you're maybe like, is it a problem? I have no problem drinking as much as I want. It's not a problem at all. But like, actually, um, one of the first times that Christy and I, before we were married, went on a date or went out with her parents. And I'm getting all of these refills of pop. Later on, I actually, she reminded me of this this past week. She was like, yeah, my mom asked me if I had a problem. Uh, you know, see, I'm drinking all that. Um, uh, some of my friends will just tell the waiter, just bring him a pitcher. Um, and, uh, so it is, it is, I could always use one more refill. But, you know, we all kind of ask for, for kind of weird things in your life. And I looked up what are some of the common things that people ask. Maybe even that they just ask Google. And so uh, one of the top things that people ask Google for is what is the time? Which I think is kind of weird because if you're asking Google for what is the time, aren't you like on your phone or at a computer? It's like it's right there. I think, I think you have all the necessary information. What do you think is the most, most, uh, the pop, most popular question asked on Google? It's for something that people already have an abundance of, but they're asking Google, what, what else can I get? What else can I, what, what can I watch on TV or on streaming? That's the most popular question on Google. And so, you know, think of things that, you know, that you ask for more of, or if you've been around kids, you're doing something and you've already done it 10 times. And then what do they say? Again, more. Right? Now I just want you to think, what is something that you ask God for? What is it that you ask God for this past month? This past week? What will you, what, what will you be asking God for in this upcoming you know, month of March? In, in Acts chapter 4, we're just going to kind of be referencing Back to that as we're going through Philippians. But in Acts 4, there's this, the, the, the church has just started. And so the, the Holy Spirit, he's come down. He's fell on the disciples, on the apostles. He's filled them. And then shortly after that, Peter, he gets up and he preaches this sermon to thousands of people. And thousands of people come to Christ. They trust in Jesus and then the church is gathering. They're devoting themselves to, to the scriptures and to each other. There's this crippled beggar that is healed. Peter preaches again. And then him and John are arrested and they're thrown in jail. And then they have to go before this council of religious leaders. And they tell them, hey, all this stuff that you're doing, you need to cut it out. You need to stop talking about Jesus. And if you recall, it was just like weeks earlier that they had actually put Jesus to death and crucified him. But because he's risen from the dead, they're like, no, we're preaching. and We're telling everybody about the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. But they're like, hey, you better stop. And so the stakes are kind of high. 
And all these things have been going, going on. And just think, if you're the, right after they release Peter and John from jail, and they gather together as a church, they begin to pray, they're asking God for something. Now just think about it. If you're in that situation, all of these amazing things have happened, but also there's persecution, people are being thrown in jail. What would you be asking God for? I think if it was me, I'd be like, man, these guys just got thrown in jail. You know what? Why don't we ask God to just help things calm down? Just things to kind of, God, would you just help these religious leaders not be the way they are? Help them to chill out. Help them to help us to find favor in their eyes. I, I think I would start to pray. God, please give us safety. Please comfort us. But that's not what they ask for. What they ask for is this, and it says in Acts 4, verse 30, 30, or 29, it says, Now, Lord, again, they're praying together. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders and through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Right? I mean, if you think about that, that's kind of crazy what they're asking God for more of. They had already seen miracles. They'd already seen people getting healed. They just saw this lame beggar get healed in front of everybody. They've seen thousands of people repent and turn to Jesus. But also this persecution... And again, you're thinking like, what is, what is happening in the life of the church right now? They're super bold. I mean, Peter in this sermon, he's, he just tells him, he's like, hey, everybody that I'm preaching to, the Jesus that you crucified. I mean, that's not a way to warm up a crowd. Hey, you put somebody to death. Boom. Has risen from the dead. I mean, they're being very bold. In front of the council, Peter and John are like, we don't have to listen to you. We have to listen to God. And that's bold. That's not buttering them up either. But the church is gathered here and they're like, God, we're asking for more. More boldness. We're asking for more miracles. We're asking you to do more in the lives of us and the lives of this world. Last week, we celebrated our third birthday as a church plant. And it was awesome. I mean, it was just so cool to see baptisms and to just hear the stories of what God has done and what God is doing. And I'm, I'm just so, like, you, you guys don't even know, I'm so thankful for God, and I'm so thankful for you guys. But here's the thing, God is not done. No, we want to reflect on what God has done, but we want to respond to what God wants to continue to do. And so last week we talked about that, and this week we're just talking about how do we keep going to what God is doing. Then we'll, you know, next week we'll jump back into Matthew we just think, what should we be asking God for more of as a church, as a, individually? What would it look like if we asked God for more? More boldness. More of him to change and shape us. More of us to, to just have kind of like the mindset that they do in Acts 4. Because he, he, here's, here's this reality. Here's the truth. God is at work. God is moving. 
Not just back then. Not just back then in Acts. Not just in Philippians that we're going to read today. God is at work now. God is moving now. And so the question that we should ask is how do we move with him? Because he has a mission. God has a mission and he has a church that he has saved to himself and to that mission that he has. And so how do we continue to move with him? And so uh, if you've got a Bible, open up to Philippians chapter 1. That's in the New Testament. It's pretty far back there. So it'll be like uh, Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians. Um, so or Ephesians, Philippians, sorry. And so Paul, he, he's the author of Philippians. He's in jail when he's writing this letter. And he's writing to the, this, the, these believers in the city of Philippi, encouraging them to continue on doing what God is doing. Um, and to continue to, to, for their commitment in Jesus. And so it's a very encouraging letter to them. And so through, through this passage and kind of what we're, we see in Acts 4, we're going to just be like, yeah, God is moving. God is at work. And then the question that we're going to be answering is, how do we keep moving with him? And so here's, here's the first thing. How do we keep moving with God? Here's the first thing. Reject complacency. Reject complacency. Com- you know, Christian complacency is just kind of where, where you stop. Right? You stop pursuing Jesus. You stop looking to him. You stop caring uh, and loving others. And you just kind of are like, I'm okay, right? That's kind of what complacency is. It's just like, I can stop. I don't need to keep going. Things are fine the way they are. I could be kind of content. And yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't know if I need to keep moving really towards Jesus and towards what he's doing. And so just in this, in this passage, let's just look at how Paul in Philippians 1 rejects complacency. Look at verse 9. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge in every kind of discernment. So he's like, I want you to keep going. I want you to keep growing. Keep growing and just in knowing who Christ is, that you'd, you'd grow in discernment. Verse 10, so that you may approve the things that are, that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ to the glory and praise of God. He's praying for God to do more than that. that, that that their love may grow. That they'd be filled with righteousness. That there'd be fruit in their life. That they'd be reflecting who Christ is. Verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. I mean, he's excited about what God is doing, even though he's in jail, he's like, man, this is served to, to, to share with the imperial guard. He's so excited about that. Verse, verse 18, he says, what does it matter? Only then, every way, whether from false motives or true, that Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know that this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Holy Spirit of Christ. Right? That, that's what matters to him. He's, he's, he's excited about what God is doing. He's excited about Christ continuing to be preached. Right? He's, he's not like, kind of like, hey, guys, let's kind of chill. I know God's done a lot of th- good things. We could, we could just be okay. But there's this, like, no, let's keep going. 
Keep growing in, in who, knowing who Christ is. Let's keep growing in Christ being proclaimed. And then look at verse 20. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything. But now as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or death. And so he's saying, I would not be ashamed about anything. He's saying about anything with Christ. This is his eager expectation. I love how Paul says that, that this is his expectation, that, that he will not be ashamed. He expects and hopes to have courage. That Christ will be honored through him, whether by life or by death, either way. He's expecting God to move. Expecting more to happen. I think a lot of times we, we kind of follow our expectations. When I was in college, I started to, to pray, God, will, will you just, tomorrow, will you just use me to share Jesus with someone? Whether they, I can encourage somebody that already knows you, or can I encourage, you know, talk to somebody that maybe doesn't know you. Just, just use me tomorrow to share you with someone somehow. And I would just say, man, it felt like every day that started to happen. I was just, boom, able to share Christ. I mean, it might not be some crazy thing, but it just might be little ways that I was just able to share Christ. Now, after a while, I, was, I started to wonder, was this happening because I all of a sudden prayed? And yes, I do think that God moves and answers prayers and, and that prayers matter. But I was wondering, did, this, did I get all these opportunities all of a sudden now because I prayed? Or because I actually expected God to do something in and through my life. Were those opportunities maybe, were there more opportunities already in my life? But I was just living with kind of no expectation that God was going to do anything in my life. I mean, I've been on a lot of mission trips. And people, pretty much everybody, has very similar expectations going on a mission trip to a foreign country. It's something like this. God is going to use me. God is going to do something. I'm going to hear God speak and I'm going to be changed. That's kind of the expectation when we go. But what about the expectation when we go to work on Monday? Is there any kind of expectation today? God is going to do something. God is alive. Is there any sense of expectation that you have this year, this week, that God is going to use you to impact somebody else's life? Or is it kind of complacent? Like, well, just go to work and go home. Is there any sense of expectation that God is going to change you? He's going to use you, that he's going to speak in you. It, to when you, when you go to work, when you go to school, that God is going to do something. When, when you go to church or city group, or even just like when you read his word or pray, God is at work. This is what John, this is what Jesus says in John 5, 17. Jesus says this, my father is always at his work. Always. To this very day, I too am working. I think a lot of times we just get complacent because we just don't think that God is actually up to something. 
Guys, I don't know about you, and and again, I'm so thankful for what God has done, what he is doing, but as we think about what God wants to continue to do, because he's at work, I, I, I think none of us really want to like play church, right? I don't want to play church. I don't want to just come to church and be like, check, did that thing, did what I'm supposed to. I think we can all get easily into this, this kind of mode of like we just kind of come to the, the churchy thing and we're just kind of playing with it. You know, it's just like, yeah, cool, whatever, because that's what we're supposed to do. And then we just kind of get okay with the way things are. Not really much happening in our life. Maybe, God not, maybe not God like actually convicting us, shaping us to becoming more like him and into the image of his son. Man, like, I don't think any of us actually want to be complacent where we're just like, I don't need to pursue Jesus really anymore. I don't need to pursue him and join him in his mission to this world. I just think of this verse in Habakkuk 2, verse 14. It says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the waters cover the sea. Is there this desire in you? You know, the the earth will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Is there this desire in you to see that happen even in your life? That the glory, the goodness of God would be, would cover your life. Is there a desire of that to see that happen in, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in this city? That God's glory would be filled. That the earth would be filled with his glory. Don't want us to become complacent, but to eagerly expect God to be working and to continue to do more. God is at work. He is on the move. So how do we move with him? Second thing is this. Embrace being uncomfortable. Embrace being uncomfortable. Verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Where is Paul when he says that phrase? What has happened to him? Does anybody know? He's in prison. So he's like, what has happened to me, which is me being thrown in jail, me being persecuted because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. I mean, if you think about that, I, again, if, if I'm Paul and it's like, oh, Jesus, Jesus, hey, jail, jail, jail. Oh, you know, I'm like, I'm going to avoid jail. I don't want to go to jail. And, but, but Paul's like, man, what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. He knows he's going to be uncomfortable. He knows things are going to get hard. He knows that, that the world that he lives in is not just rooting him off. Necessarily to continue doing what he's doing. Even in verse 22, he he says, now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work. So he's saying if if he stays alive, this will be fruitful work for him. And I don't know which one I should choose. Saying like, should he choose to like, oh, I'd love to continue to live or not. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart, you know, to die and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh, to remain alive, is more necessary for your sake, for the church's sake. Since I'm persuaded of this, I know 
that I will remain and continue with, with all of you for your progress and join the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. And so he's, he's even saying like, yeah, I would, I would rather take the easy way out and just go to be with Christ. But I know that it's necessary for me to continue on with you. And then in verse 27, live a life worthy of the gospel that whether I come to you or see you in absent, I will hear about you, that you're standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Verse 28, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. I mean, here's the reality. Following Jesus will mean opposition in your life. Following Jesus will mean being uncomfortable in your life. Paul is not telling them or telling us today, go run towards suffering. Go run towards being persecuted. But he's saying, I'm running towards Christ. I'm continuing to live for Christ, with Christ, on this mission with him. And that means some rough things ahead. Think of all the things that you get uncomfortable for. I mean, we will get uncomfortable to get in shape. I mean, there's a few of you that are like, I love going to the gym. And then the rest of us are like, we don't like you. <laughs> going to the gym's awful. It's uncomfortable when my heart rate goes up. You'll, you'll get uncomfortable for your kids. Right? We'll do whatever for kids. You'll get uncomfortable for your job. You'll learn new things. You'll go to boring workshops. You'll do whatever for your jobs. We will get uncomfortable for sports. Even when the Huskers are terrible, we will still be like, yep, it's August. Let's get in that hot sun and on that hot bleacher. Yay. It's so great. When is the last time you got uncomfortable for Christ? I know that's a heavy question. But I mean, seriously, when is the last time your faith in the one true God, the Savior of the universe, your Savior, when you're like, man, because God, you are moving and I want to move with you, that means I'm going to embrace being uncomfortable for what you want to do, in me or through me. When is the last time that your faith made you uncomfortable? I mean, maybe, maybe it was getting uncomfortable in even just what Alex was talking about with at the table and inviting somebody into your home and your life that you don't really know, that maybe doesn't know Jesus, that's not the easiest person to be around. I get it. You're like, I don't know if they're fun. I don't know if this is going to go. I don't know if our kids are going to connect. But it's just like, I could get uncomfortable for that. When I, I think a lot of times we don't want to embrace being uncomfortable, but we'll embrace excuses really quick. Well, I'm busy. My house is messy. I don't know what to say. Usually my excuse is just, I don't want to. You will get uncomfortable for whatever it is that you value. And I think that we were talking about this yesterday at the men's breakfast. The two biggest indicators of what you really value is how do you spend your time and your money? It just is. 
Do did you ever feel uncomfortable in your time because you're walking with Jesus? Or is it just again, we're too busy? Maybe you're just bad at managing your schedule. And you're just using that as it's just an excuse. And you've gotten comfortable with the excuse rather than uncomfortable with the cause of Christ. Finances. Has there ever been a time where it's like, man, we're going to help, we're going to give, and man, that's feel a little, feel a little bit. We, if we're living contrary to this world, contrary to the culture, it will be uncomfortable. Do you feel it in your life? We need, we need to embrace being uncomfortable. Man, I'm having an awkward conversation with somebody. This feels, I don't know what to say. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm building this relationship with this person. I'm kind of inconvenienced for it. I mean, again, in, in Acts, it's like we're just thrown in jail. What are they asking for? More. More boldness. Not because they think things are going to magically get easier. But I think, why, why, do, why are they like, yeah, we'll embrace being uncomfortable. Why? Just like it says in Acts, earlier in that chapter, Acts 4, it says, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to us by which we can be saved other than the name of Christ. We'll embrace that because, look, any of us. In this room, outside of this room, there is no other hope that any of us have other than the name of Jesus. That is the only hope of the world. It might seem fine. It might seem like, hey, they have a nice house. They have a nice family. But the only hope that your neighbor has, you have, your coworker has, is the name of Christ. That is something worth being uncomfortable for. So that this world may know Jesus. So let's be willing to step out of those comfort zones. For what Christ is doing. Because God is at work. God is moving. So how do we move with him? Number three. Cling to Christ. Cling to Christ. Verse six. He says, I'm sure of this. That he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Right, saying, man, all of this, this work that's happening in you, through you, that's by Christ. And, and Christ is going to continue to do it. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ. Verse 19, I know that this will turn out my, for my deliverance through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit. In Acts, right after, you know, they, what do they do? God, all this stuff is happening. Great things are happening. And then also Paul and John, they're thrown in jail. So what do they do? They pray. And they go to God. They don't like sit down and be like, all right, guys, what's our strategy? It's just like, all right, let's sit down and let's go to God. Let's cling to him because we, we need him. And then how did God provide after they prayed? The Holy Spirit gave them boldness. God provided Earnest prayer, right? Clinging to Christ. You, you, you have not because you ask not. 
for us to keep going, for us to keep moving with God and what he is doing, what he wants to do. We cling to God through prayer. We, we pray on Sundays when every other Sunday we have corporate prayer where we, we have some, some guidance, some, some scripture on the, on the screen. and be like, hey, we're praying for this. Now, let's just all admit that's always not the funnest thing. Right? Oh, I'm going to pray with anyone. That might feel intimidating. I'm going to pray with my family member. I'm going to pray with somebody down the row here in my chairs. But here's the thing. We pray, one, because South Lincoln is pretty self-reliant. Right? We don't need people. We could figure it out ourselves. We want to combat that. And we want to build in, in this instinct into all of us that whatever it is, we run to Christ. Man, something awesome is happening. Let's go to Christ. Man, something hard is happening. Let's go to prayer. Let's go to God. Just to build that like instinct that we're always going to God. And just, man, we're going to ask God to do big, amazing things. I mean, think if, if, you, if the gathered body comes together and you, you, you don't have to pray on Sundays, are you going to pray the rest of the week? I mean, maybe... It's like, we'll, we'll embrace that being uncomfortable to ask God to move because we need him. My, my, my mediocre sermons are not going to change lives. God changes lives. Right? And we, and we have to ask God for everything. We need him. Asking God to move because he is moving. So how do we move with him? Last thing, we cultivate community. Cultivate community. And that's the, the church is gathering together. They're praying together. They're, they're one heart, one mind. In Philippians, Paul thanks the, the Philippians for their partnership in the gospel. And he says in verse 7, it is, in, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace both, you know, in the gospel, both in my imprisonment and the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I deeply miss you all with these affections that I have for you. In verse 19, he says, like, I will be delivered through your prayers. And if you ever read, I, I kind of wish the, some of the translators did this, but if you read in the, in the epistles and it says you, almost every time it's really y'all. You know, it's plural you, but I like y'all. I think they should have done that because that's just really clear. Thank God for y'all. Y'all are partners with me in the gospel. Standing firm in the faith. Paul knows that for himself, he can't do this on his own. He needs other people around him. I mean, even, even Jesus. I mean, if you think if somebody could go solo, it would be Jesus. God in flesh, they could probably do it. But Jesus, when he's in his darkest moments, what does he ask his disciples? Not, hey, I need to be by myself. He says, come pray with me. Right? When he's in the garden. The first thing in the scripture that it says that is not good. Right? You know, God's creating. This is good. This is good. Good, good dolphins. Good trees. First thing that it's not good, it is not good for man to be alone. But I think a lot of times what, what we think in our head or what the enemy tries to get us to think, no, it is good for you to be alone. 
You could do this on your own. You got it. Or we just think that we're alone. Look, we all need people around us. I, I need people around me to help me be not complacent. I need people around me to help me be okay and to embrace being uncomfortable. I mean, sometimes it's like, well, you're uncomfortable too. Yay, I can do this. I'm not alone in this. I mean, again, just at, just at the men's breakfast yesterday, somebody was just, just saying, man, it was great to hear that other people have some of the same struggles that I have. And they were so encouraged by that because we were just together like, hey, we don't all have it figured out, but man, let's pray for one another, let's encourage one another on towards Christ. And we say this a lot, but we can be activity rich and relationship poor. We can be have cool things in our house rich, but relationship poor. When, when any of us get to the end of our life or somebody else gets to the end of our life, we're not going to be saying, man, I just, the thing I love about them the most is they had a great house. Man, their cars were awesome. Because we know that doesn't matter. Now you might be thankful, man, I loved it that they were my friend. I'm so thankful for how they invited me into their life. Those are the kinds of things that are going to matter. So, man, for us to keep moving with God, we need one another. We need to cultivate this community. We need to prioritize it. I just want you to think what in Acts, why did they ask God for more? Right? God had been doing all these things. They've been thrown in jail. And then they're like, God, we want more, more boldness. Why do you think that they asked for more? Because they had seen a lot happen. All those things. And so here's why I think that they asked God for more. Because they had seen Jesus. I think they had seen the goodness and the glory of Christ. They, they, they knew that their Savior had come. They'd seen more clearly than ever who Jesus was, what it meant that he died for them and rose again. Jesus had changed them. They're asking for more. Why? Because they know, man, the tomb is empty. God is alive. Jesus is alive. Of course we want more. God, please do more because we've seen you. We've seen your goodness. We've seen how amazing you are. They're enjoying God. They're experiencing God. I mean, I think we, we, we are all attracted to greatness, and we all want more of things that are great. We all also invite people into other things that are great. I mean, on my phone, there's been these reels of Switzerland. I've never been there. But I'm like, man, look at that. Look how amazing that is. We should go there. That's beautiful. And it never gets old. It's so beautiful. What I never do is say, hey, you want to see pictures of my hometown in New Mexico? It's a dump. Want more? Because it's not that good. But they're like, God, we want more. Because you're so good. You've changed my life. I've seen and I've tasted just how amazing you are, how you love me. And it's so crazy how you love me. God, give me more boldness because the person that lives right over there doesn't know you. They don't know how good you are. They don't know of your amazing love. They don't know the hope that they only can have in you, Jesus. 
And so, God, I'm asking and I'm praying for more because we've seen and we've tasted the goodness of Christ. Church family, God has done amazing things. He's doing amazing things. Now, I'm so thankful. It's so crazy what he's doing. But God is still at work. He's still building this family. He's still changing lives. He's still wanting and pursuing the people around us in our community. Let's keep going. Let's continue with God in what he's doing. Keep asking for more because just like Paul said when he said in verse 6, I'm sure of this. That he, God, who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we thank you so much that you are at work, Lord, that you are so good. Lord, I pray for us, Lord, that we would more and more just see just, just how good you are. Lord, so that, that our, our love for you, our affection for you, our enjoyment of you would just be so high that we, that we just can't help but ask for more. Lord, we can't help but invite people into more of who you are. And so, Lord, Lord we ask you, Lord, that, that you would help us to just continue to join you in knowing you, being loved by you, and join you in what you're doing in us and through this, around us in this world.